This is Ozarks at Large for Friday, December 16th, 2022. This is 91.3 KUAF, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media. I'm Kyle Kellams. With me to start our Friday show inside the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio, Michael Tilly with Talk Business and Politics. Thanks for having me back. So again, always good to be right here. I love this, having you right here. What I also really like is this kind of great picture that's at... Uh, talkbusiness.net right now of this tugboat going through the Arkansas River. It's a beautiful picture. Yeah, well, it's it's one of our old file photos. But yes, um, and there are a few more of those going down the <laughs> river or up the river um, this year than last year. According to the Army, the U.S. Corps of Engineers, uh, 2.7% commercial tonnage is up through November for the year. Um, and it was up, it was essentially flat in November. Um, but um, the, the tonnage um, f- for the year uh, was 10.3, like I said, 10.3 million tons, which is up 2.7%. Um, inbound shipments, those coming from off the river, uh, were down 13.2%. We're seeing a decline. Talk to Marty Shell in Fort Smith, Brian Day in Little Rock. A lot of that is just because the Mississippi River has been low. so low. That a lot of the barges that would have come up the river just are can't. They're in St. Louis, or they're still sitting in New Orleans. They're just not moving along the river. So thirteen point three percent down on inbound, uh, outbound shipments are up seventeen point three percent. They're getting them off the river. Okay. Now what happens to them once they get off the river? We don't know. Um, and I've had some people say, "Well, why why is the Arkansas River up? It's a different watershed to some extent. You know, a lot of the Arkansas River water." comes from Kansas, Oklahoma, mm. Colorado, parts Colorado area. So the Arkansas River is still doing well. Um, internal shipments, which is a lot of the activity on the river, um, that's up 7%, 3.3 million tons. Um, overall, again, talking to some of these guys, two, uh, this year has been good. It's been kind of another rebuilding year, um, so to speak. Uh, Marty Shell thinks it'll finish out strong. Um, again, he operates Port of Fort Smith and Van Buren facilities. He is concerned. He's seeing that uh, some of their customers are using up their inventory. Mm. They're not replacing it because they're ba- they're waiting to see how the economy is going to be. They're waiting to see if interest rates will kind of moderate. Because <laughs> some of these companies, you know, when they buy, you know, they go to the markets and get loans to to refill their supplies. Um, and Brian Day, he did say the rains, uh, lower Mississippi levels have um, pushed them a little bit lower. But they've handled uh, 385 barges in Little Rock this year, and he said that's up 22%. Mm. So they're doing well there. Uh, but it's, again, I, I know uh, we often forget about the river because, you know, we don't – I don't know about you, but I don't drive the river like I drive interstates. and It's a little bit more so difficult. So you forget about it. But it is still a fundamental part of the economy. A lot of the – our, a lot of Arkansas's, you know, the agriculture industry, the key sector, a lot of wheat and soybeans uh, travel. In fact, uh, wheat was uh, in the number four um, shipment, uh, and the top five was the fourth, that, but it was down 8.5%, and soybeans was the fifth most, uh, down 4.5%. Sand, gravel, rock, cornerstone of construction, road building, that kind of thing, was up, six point, uh, up 6%, and that's the most... Um, uh, that's the commodity with the most shipments for the year in terms of tonnage. So good good report on the river, though, but we'll see if that continues. I think there's some doubts if that strength will continue into next year. 
there are people in the Fort Smith Metro still needing sand, rock, and gravel. The building continues. Again, you're keen to the segue. Yes, uh, and we've talked about it, I think, last week about the building activity. And here are just a couple more examples. Uh, Fort Smith Boys and Girls Club kicked off uh, a $3.1 million renovation project of their Jeffrey unit, which will be renamed the Jeffrey Glidewell unit in honor of former um, CEO Jerry Glidewell, who was there for a thousand years and um, one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. But they're going to kick that off. Of course, they're adding soccer courts, they're adding an innovation lab, pickleball courts, which yeah. is the thing. So a great addition, a pretty sizable addition to that. And then over on the kind of the northeast side of Fort Smith, the Fort Smith Housing Authority is building uh, ten, almost $10.5 million housing complex near the fairgrounds. So, um, and it's an area, it's um, not only will it meet a need for that lower income, but good quality housing, but it's really going to dress up. That's kind of, that's been an old trailer park. It's been a kind right. of an eyesore where that, it, that area is. So $10.5 million, 56 unit apartment complex, um, and they'll have that done. I think early 2024 is when that project will be finished. So couple of you know just right out of you know we've talked about when when these projects quit and just bam in the last week we've had uh, almost you know over 13 million wow. um in new projects that'll be started so it's it's continuing it's not going to be 13 million dollars of new salary for the um, <laughs> <laughs> fort smith board of directors but they're they do have uh Bigger paychecks now. Yeah, they do. And uh, there's been some criticism of this, but I, I'm one of those folks who, look, the mayor's, um, the mayor is going to be, his salary is going to go from 10000 to 30000 10000 uh, is not a lot of money to be no. mayor. And, um, and again, I, I, I get it that the mayor role is ceremonial, um, but the, the salary's never been increased since the 60s. That's been the salary. Um, the board members, their salary is going to go from 1000 there are seven board members, thousand annually to seven eight hundred seventy eight hundred um, annually, and um, their salary hasn't been raised. I think it's been four or five decades as well. Um, they do get an increase. In, both the mayor and the board members get an increase in the auto auto allowance from four hundred to six hundred per month. Um, and I don't look. I don't begrudge any of this. I know I've known several directors over the years. Um, it is I. You could not pay me. $7,800 and a $600 a month auto. I, I wouldn't do it. No. It's not worth – because to do it right, not everybody does it right on the board, but a lot of them do. It's a lot of time. They travel a lot to look at what they're voting on, property they're voting on. Um, they got to – you got to know about sewers. You yes. got to know about zoning. You got to know about this and that. Yeah, and so if you want to attract – I think if you want to attract quality people to the board, you need to give them a little bit of – uh, encourage a little bit of incentive. Now, I know a couple of board members over the years know, who have been independently wealthy, the salary didn't matter to them. Yeah, but we don't only want legislative yes, bodies to be exactly. independently wealthy people. So, anyway, I think it's a good move. It'll Obviously, it'll cost the city a little bit more per year, but um, four or five decades. I think every four or five decades, you should probably yes. get a raise yes. of some sort. <laughs> Agreed. Finally, you and I... And so many other people across the state of Arkansas lost a good friend this week. Yeah, uh, Brenda Blagg. Uh, I didn't know her as well as a lot of people, but I knew her, worked with her during my days with Don, uh, not Don Ray, gosh, Stevens Media. Um, 
and I tell you what, just a jur- professional journalist to the core, and she was an advocate. It, this, I think, hopefully it will be her legacy, and I think is her um, support of the Freedom Arkansas Freedom of Information Act. She was dogged in her belief to protect it, to enhance it. To explain and, it to people yes, who didn't need it. And to explain why it's important to for and one of the, the things that I often appreciate about her was she said it's not just for journalists. It's for citizens yeah. to be able to ask fresh questions about their governments, about their local governments, whether it's school district, county governments, whatever. So hated losing her. It was a sudden loss, but hopefully someone, uh, maybe it's that's you and me, will pick up that mantra and continue to – because to me, her legacy was just being – Gosh, again, a dogged advocate for government transparency. And I want to say, you know, a lot of us, when we think about her, we would think of her tenacity and her perseverance and her dogness. But she was one of the nicest oh, yes. people in the world. She, I can't tell you how many times uh, as a younger, much younger reporter, I would ask her about this and that. And she could couch, I don't want to say Chris, it was constructive mm-hmm. criticism in such a way that you just, not only were you not put off by it, but you wanted more of it. Yeah. So, yeah, just one of the best people, one of the best journalists. All right, this is our last conversation in 2022. Ozarks at Large going on a break beginning a week from today. We'll be back together Friday the 13th in January 2023. Friday the 13th. Yeah. Okay. Remember just, the last Friday the 13th? Uh, the last one that I can remember that we talked on was uh, March 13th, 2020. Well, that didn't go well. No, it didn't. So (laughs) we promise it will go better this time. You can find out about all of this and much more at talkbusiness.net. Michael, happy new year. Happy holidays. Thanks. Back at you, sir. Later this hour, Rachel Fields and Larry Brick, the duo Brick Fields, play in our Furman Garner Performance Studio. This is Ozarks at Large. We recently reported that the Cherokee Nation headquartered in Oklahoma is pressing Congress to seat a tribal delegate to the U.S. House of Representatives in fulfillment of an early 19th century treaty with the U.S. government. As Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich reports, the United Katua Band of Cherokee, also based in Oklahoma, seeks to seat a treaty congressional delegate as well. My name is Victoria Holland, and I go by Tori, and I'm the proposed congressional delegate for the United Katua Band. I'm born and raised in the Cherokee Reservation in Oklahoma, and I worked for the UKB prior to going to law school. UKB is short for United Katua Band of Cherokee. Tori Holland specializes in Native American law and peacemaking. The Katua are one of three Cherokee tribes whose ancestral homelands encompassed present-day North and South Carolina, Tennessee, Georgia, and Alabama. So prior to Anglo and Spanish incursion, the Cherokee people were all one people. So we had local governments, we ran our lives just like any other group of people would, Um, but we were all one Cherokee people. Um, So it was only through acts of Congress that various things were done. Beginning with the Indian Removal Act of 1830, over the span of five decades, 55 tribal nations east of the Mississippi River were relocated, most forcibly onto reservations in Indian Territory, present-day Oklahoma. Indian removal was in response to a surge of white settlers seeking fertile lands to cultivate food crops and cotton. 
the Dawes Act of 1887 broke up reservations within the former territory held in common by tribal people who then had to enroll to be granted small allotments of private land, followed by hundreds of thousands of white homesteaders staking claims once again on Indian lands. In 1907, the state of Oklahoma was declared, where today 38 federally recognized tribes exist. For Cherokee, assimilation originated with the Treaty of New Achota in 1835, negotiated with the U.S. government that promised land and trade, cash, and representation in Congress. But Holland says the United Ketua Band of Cherokee predates forced Cherokee migration. Yes, we were all one Cherokee people. Prior to the Trail of Tears, there were a group of Cherokee who saw the writing on the wall for forced assimilation, and so they moved to what is now Arkansas, and they were known as the Western Cherokee. He then had the Trail of Tears happen, and so for easy math purposes, a second third of Cherokee people came, and they were all pushed into what is now Oklahoma or Indian Territory. You then had the Cherokees that remained in the South, mainly North Carolina, and those are now the Eastern Band of Cherokee. So now you have three federally recognized tribes, and each of them are successors in interest to all the Cherokee treaties that the United States made. 9,000 descendants of the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians, so-called for eluding forced relocation, occupy 57,000 acres of reservation in western North Carolina today, where the tribe was conveyed a federal gaming compact for casino gambling, generating hundreds of millions of dollars in annual earnings. The Cherokee Nation, headquartered south of Tahlequah, Oklahoma, counts more than 430,000 enrolled members and 113,000 acres of tribal trust restricted and fee lands across 14 counties. Cherokee Nation Business operates 45 companies across three business units that generates nearly $2 billion in annual revenue, including a sprawling gaming industry. The United Ketua Band of Cherokee, federally recognized in 1946, counts 14,000 members. In 2012, the tribe was conveyed two acres of land in trust by the U.S. Department of Interior for legal gaming operations and obtained a gaming compact in 2020, supported by the state of Oklahoma. The land trust decision, however, was later withdrawn and the gaming compact nullified by the courts. So the United Ketua Band has two parcels. The first is the 76 acres for our community services. And then we have a two-acre parcel for gaming purposes. Um, it has taken a long road to get those in trust, but we had the Cherokee Reservation re-recognized, so that kind of changed the game of how the application is done. So we're still pending on those motions. But we are a federally recognized Cherokee tribe, so we have all of the same rights that any other Cherokee tribe does. The Cherokee Nation claims authority over tribal land trust transactions within Oklahoma, as well as control over all Cherokee gaming compacts. Enrolled Cherokee Nation and Eastern Band members in North Carolina receive a percentage of annual income from net gaming revenue. Holland says once seated as a United Ketua Band of Cherokee delegate in the U.S. House of Representatives, she will press for her tribe's sovereign interests. So as a delegate, we can vote in committee action, but not final action. And, you know, this really isn't so much about having the voting power. It's about having that voice and explaining the Ketua perspective to people who are making the laws that affect us. 
So if Congress keeps their promise to the Cherokee people, as they said that they would, and let us have a voice, then they need to seat all Cherokee delegates because we all have a voice at the table. We queried the Cherokee Nation for comment. In an emailed statement, Principal Chief Chuck Hoskins says, the United Ketua Band of Cherokee didn't exist when the Treaty of New Echota was transacted in 1835. He says only the Cherokee Nation is entitled to a delegate made clear by settled case law and history. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. The Arkansas Museum of Fine Art is in Little Rock, but considers the entire state its constituency. The museum, the oldest such museum in the state, has been closed for a while for renovation, but will reopen April 22nd. The new museum will have 20,000 square feet of gallery space, a 350-seat theater, a 153-seat lecture hall, and more inside. Outside, 11 acres of landscaping with sculpture and art and living representatives of Arkansas's biodiversity. And for the grand reopening this spring... More than 11,000 handmade origami lotus flowers placed outside the museum in Little Rock's MacArthur Park. The origami lotus shape that we've chosen is uh, not a complicated uh, fold to do. That's Miranda Young, Associate Director of Community Engagement at the Arkansas Museum of Fine Arts. When I talked to her this week about inviting thousands of Arkansans to make an origami flower, I asked if this was a difficult project. Uh, when it comes to origami, it can get very complicated. I know what you mean. Um, this is one of the easier folds, but it is a very beautiful, elegant shape when it's done. Um, so it's a lot of repeating folds. So once you get one of the folds down, you do it two or three times. And then at the end, you have this beautiful three-dimensional flower. The museum is going all in, asking people from all over Arkansas to watch tutorials on the museum's website, then create. Already, Many schools have been involved in making the flowers. We've been working with schools since August, doing professional developments with their art teachers and getting this project in front of students. And now um, those schools are in contact with us and we'll be doing pickups and we have drop spots for all of the schools. Um, and then the community can also, after they've made theirs, we have drop-off locations here in central Arkansas and we also have uh, a mailing label that folks who are not in central Arkansas can use to mail their lotus flowers to us. Miranda Young says at least 11,000 Arkansas students have been given instructions and encouragement to make flowers. So uh, we're hoping to get at least that many returned to us. Um, and then with the community uh, uh driven part of this uh, being added at this point, we're hoping to get another couple of thousand added to that. So it truly will be this kind of overwhelming um, mass amount of this repeated shape. And uh, I think it's going to be really cool to look at. About 2,000 origami lotus flowers have already been delivered to the museum, gently stored, waiting for the April reopening. The actual placement of the flowers will be taken care of by volunteers from college and high school groups and members of the community. When all set, would you be able to find the flower you made? The joy here is seeing them all together. So no, but Miranda says that joy of all 11 or 13 or more thousand flowers should be quite something. The flowers are going to be made of all kinds of different materials. Some metallic papers we've got, and it adds this kind of pops of color 
all around in it. So it really is a great representation of just the diversity and the creativity of our community. There are instructions about sending your flower, and again, museum staff looking for contributions from all over the state, at the museum's website. Also there, visual guides to making the folds for the origami lotus flower. But why this flower for this museum? The lotus flower kind of symbolizes a lot of things in a lot of different uh, cultures. But some of those words that really stood out to us were, were strength, transfer, transformation, creation, and connection. And those are four really strong words that kind of uh, we want to see, want the community to see reflected in the AMFA. And um, it also kind of mimics the new roof line of our building and has those really strong kind of petal shapes. Miranda Young is Associate Director of Community Engagement at the Arkansas Museum of Fine Arts in Little Rock. We spoke earlier this week. The museum's grand reopening is April 22nd. For more information and for origami tutorials, go to arcmfa.org. The Jones Center in downtown Springdale presents The Worst Case Scenario Survival Experience, an interactive exhibition for kids and families that put survival skills to the test. Activities include a quicksand ball pit, climbing a wall, picking a lock, and more. Tickets at thejonescenter.net. This is Ozarks at Large, and this is our final Friday show for 2022. A week from today, we'll move aside for a broadcast of the 2022 Fort Smith Corral Holiday Concert. Other special programs will continue to broadcast here until we return with new editions of Ozarks at Large Monday January 9th. As we end this week, let's wrap up some of the news that developed during the past few days. The cryptocurrency exchange, FTX, has been under intense scrutiny recently. The company's former CEO, Sam Bankman-Fried, was recently arrested in the Bahamas, which is also where the company is based. Charges against Bankman-Fried have included wire fraud and conspiracy. U.S. Senator from Arkansas, John Bozeman, is the co-chair of the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, CFTC, which is working to regulate the cryptocurrency industry. When I spoke to him yesterday, I asked if earlier regulation from the CFTC would have prevented the actions of FTX. And his response was yes and no. During the hearing, uh, one of our members of, of our committee, the Ag Committee, asked you know, if these things were in place, could this have happened? And he said, no, you know, all of these things were illegal. It wouldn't have happened except for the fact that uh, FTX was uh, headquartered in the Bahamas. Senator Bozeman says that people currently looking to invest in cryptocurrency should understand the risks they're taking. Looking at the shakiness in the market right now, what undid FTX was these higher interest rates, you know, things like that, a downturn in the economy, people actually, you know, uh, cashing in, trying to cash in their investment. As a result, I think uh, things are pretty shaky in the industry. Despite all of the turmoil and bad news surrounding crypto and FTX currently, the senator still thinks this technology will stick around. I think technology is changing regarding our financial transactions. I don't think this is going away. Several Arkansas hospitals are urging Arkansans to get flu shots now. Ryan Garrick, the president of Mercy Hospitals Arkansas, says medical professionals are seeing an unusually high number of flu cases in Arkansas for this early in the flu season. The president and CEO of Washington Regional, Larry Shackelford, says the triple threat 
of the flu, COVID-19, and RSV could strain hospitals if more people don't get immunized. At the start of this week, the state of Arkansas had reported 64 flu-related deaths during this flu season, 19 of them in the previous week alone. U.S. Cycling is selecting Bentonville to be the official home of the U.S. National Bike Team. The designation means the national team will use the trails in northwest Arkansas for fitness camps leading into the World Cup racing season. Bentonville will also be the base for U.S. Cycling's collegiate operations. Devil's Den State Park's new Devil's Racetrack Trailhead parking area restrooms and campground are now officially open after a dedication Wednesday. It's part of the Arkansas State Park's Monument Trail system and features a refurbished Fossil Flats mountain biking trail and 12 new trails that opened in 2021. The trailhead and amenities were designed and built by Boulder Construction of Fayetteville. The National Highway Safety Administration is teaming up with local law enforcement in an effort to keep impaired drivers off the road. The campaign begins on Friday and runs through New Year's Day. Police agencies say they will heighten enforcement with a goal of preventing accidents caused by drunk driving. Bridget White with the Highway State Office oversees behavioral safety programs for the state of Arkansas. Impaired driving is a prevalent issue that's a a problem all across the nation, and it is uh, here in Arkansas as well. I guess impaired driving fatalities comprise about 30% of the traffic fatalities that occur on Arkansas roadways. So it's a very important issue uh, for the safety of the motoring public in Arkansas. A driver is over the legal limit with a blood alcohol level exceeding .08. The step-up enforcement is part of the Drive Sober or Get Pulled Over campaign. The Arkansas Swimming and Diving Team is ranked 18th in the latest CSEAA poll. Arkansas next swims January 4th, hosting Arkansas Little Rock at the Arkansas Natatorium. And the University of Arkansas Fort Smith announced this week it will welcome two-time Pulitzer Prize winner Colson Whitehead to campus in February. Colson, the author of The Underground Railroad and The Nickel Boys, is scheduled to speak February 7th at the UAFS Stubblefield Center in conjunction with the Winthrop Rockefeller Distinguished Lecture Series and the university's Read This Public Literacy Program. The event will be free and open to the public. Hi, my name is Paul, your host for the Generic Blue Show, which airs every Friday night at 9 o'clock. Join me this Friday. We've got our usual varied blues songs, as well as previewing the 10th anniversary of the weekly Brickfields Blues Therapy Sessions. In tradition, it will be held on a Wednesday night, but on that 21st of December, it will be at the Fable Public Library Event Center. A larger stage, a larger venue for a lot of musicians. It's going to be a great time. Again, that's the Generic Blues Show, every Friday night at 9 o'clock. We'll see you then. This is Ozarks at Large with me in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio for this Friday. Ho, ho, ho. (laughs) Becca Martin-Brown, features editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. I am making a huge effort to have Christmas spirit this year. So we're going to have a holly jolly Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that was a declaration or if it was like, an you know, Something you were trying. Hope. Yes. <laughs> we're going to stick to the Friday Five format. Okay. That's your five picks for this weekend. <laughs> Except, you know, I found a way to expand yeah. it 82 different ways. It's like sending me to the grocery store. Christmas Carol. The theater Squared. Theater Squared. Continues through Sunday. 
And then there are special holiday performances at 2 o'clock December 23rd and at 10 a.m. and 3 p.m. December 24th. Christmas Eve day. And so what a fun thing to do. If you haven't seen this version, it's set in a library, a big, beautiful Victorian library on Christmas Eve in the year that A Christmas Carol came out. You can get tickets for that at Mm theater2.org. And on Sunday, they have a hot cocoa social happening at Theater Squared with a hot cocoa bar with peppermint sticks and chocolate shavings and a kid's craft station and reindeer games and holiday story times and photos with Santa. And that all starts at 4 o'clock on December 18th. It's free, but reservations are recommended at ticks.theater2.org. And that will take place in the commons? That will take place in the commons. Coming on December 20th and December 21st, all the way from Australia's favorite cartoon characters, Bluey's Big Day. Bluey is an Australian cattle dog, a blue healer. Bluey's sister is Bingo, a red healer. And, of course, we also know their parents. How do you know this? My nieces and nephews introduced me to Bluey, and Uh. I quickly outpaced them on how much I love this program. Aww. It helps that my dog, Daisy, looks exactly like Bingo. But this is such a sweet, sweet show. I don't know this show because Amanda's kind of grown out of all of this. But if you know this show, or if you want to go and check it out on Disney Junior and and Disney Plus streaming, apparently it is quite a lovely story. Bluey made his uh, Macy's Day Parade balloon debut this year. Ah, Well, this only (laughs) happens at 7 o'clock on the 20th, and then there are three shows on the 21st, 11, 3, and 7. And I looked at the tickets available, and there are not many. Right. are not many at all. So you might want to go do something about that as soon as we get done. I can't say right now because that makes Kyle unhappy. That's right. As soon as we get done, waltonartcenter.org. And while you're there, you can also drop in at Winter Nights at the Walton Art Center, which is a family-friendly holiday space with drinks and snacks and games. And it's open to the public from 5 to 11, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday through December 23rd. We've cheated. We've got, that was number two or four, however you count it. Number three is Tuna Christmas at Arkansas Public Theater in Rogers. This one's not sweet. No. Really? No, no, but it's funny. But it's funny. There are honestly some very sweet moments in it. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, I might not take a toddler to it. No. It's fine for older kids and hilarious for adults. And there are shows at 8 o'clock today and tomorrow, 2 o'clock on Sunday, and then that's all. And the bonus for Arkansas Public Theater... I knew this was coming. ...is Fish in Any Medium in the Zephyr Blevins Gallery with art by Melissa Milton and Zeke Taylor and Susan Jackson and Annie Edmondson and Susan Eidlett and Jim Treadway and Randy French and Katie Church and Joey Cathcart. And then I really cheated on number four. Oh. Because number four is movies. Starting tomorrow with an interactive version of the Polar Express at 1030 at the Fort Smith Miller Library. What does interactive mean? It means you get like a kit to go with it. Oh, okay. That's free. Should be fun. The Victory Film Series. That's Saturday morning. That's Saturday morning at the Fort Smith Miller Library. Not the main library, the Miller Branch. Victory Film Series, 2 o'clock Saturday at Arkansas Public Theater, is National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Mm Mm-hmm. Tickets start at $12. 
And then all next week, there are Schools Out movies all over the place. Schools Out movie Rumble. I don't know the movie Rumble. Nor do I. But I know it's at 2 o'clock Tuesday at the Fayetteville Public Library, and it's intended for kids. The 2 o'clock Wednesday movie at the Fayetteville Public Library is DC League of Super Pets. Which I have watched and enjoyed and will tell you that there are adult-level jokes in this. I'm just sitting here grinning at him because I think this is cute. (laughs) From 2 to 6 on Wednesday at the Springdale Public Library, there's a double feature matinee. No clue what it is? One assumes it might be Christmas-themed. On Thursday, from 9.30 to 4.15, there's a winter movie marathon. What movies are included in that? Haven't got a clue. Would assume it's Christmas-themed. Would assume it's Christmas-themed. That's at the Bentonville Public Library. They don't list the movies on their websites. It has something to do with the rights to the movies. Yep, 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 because you're showing them for free. Right. Yes. So it's not that I'm too lazy to look it up. It's just that they don't tell you. Also on Thursday at 11 o'clock at the Springdale Public Library, Polar Express, Mm -hmm. and a hot chocolate bar. Oh. School's Out movie on Thursday. Back at the Fayetteville Public Library. Back at the Fayetteville Public Library is The Bad Guys, another film I don't know. It's about animals that are traditionally considered the bad ones, like sharks and that, and, and they have to do a caper to prove they're good. Ah. I have not seen it, but I know the plot. I love it. And then there's an interactive movie at 2 o'clock Thursday at the Fort Smith Miller Library, Elf. This will all go out in the newsletter that we do for What's Up today. So if you're lost and confused, sign up for the newsletter. There you go. And number five is Winter Break Wonders, which starts December 22nd at Crystal Bridges. Mm -hmm. Every afternoon, there's art making, creative play, movement activities, art carts, Visits by nature experts, music, all those things from 1 to 4 through January 2nd. All right. And how do you sign up for that e- uh, that uh, newsletter? You go to nwaonline.com and look for newsletters. Becca Martin-Brown, Features Editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. The KUAF Giving Tree has been lit. This annual program from your public radio station benefits an area nonprofit that's looking for help from our community. This month of December, we're partnering with Seven Hills Homeless Center, which works to develop and implement collaborative local solutions that foster hope, opportunity, and stability for people experiencing homelessness. Seven Hills provides a wide range of basic needs and housing services and works with other groups to help decrease homelessness in our community. Right now, Seven Hills' biggest needs are canned soups, coats, socks, gloves, and winter hats. You can drop off your donation of new or gently used items at KUAF, 9 South School Avenue in Fayetteville. You can find more information about Seven Hills at sevenhillscenter.org. The Giving Tree and KUAF Public Radio make your voice matter. This is Ozarks at Large with me via Zoom, Courtney Lanning. Courtney, how are you? Kyle, I'm good. How are you doing? Pretty good. Uh, I know a lot of people are excited this weekend because one of the most anticipated sequels in some time is coming out. Avatar was, or, or maybe I think still is, the highest grossing movie in theaters of all time. And finally, a second Avatar is out, and you have seen it, haven't you? It's true. It's, uh, it's been more than a decade. And uh, I got to say, Kyle, out of all the movies I've ever seen, Avatar was definitely one of them. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, So the second one, Way of the Water, how is it? Is it just one of the movies you've seen this year? 
you know, I, I was very, very pleasantly surprised uh, when I walked out of the theater at the premiere. This film improves so much from the original, uh, so much so that I will probably put it on my top 10 list of movies for 2022. Yeah, you know, I, I did not care for the first movie. Obviously, it was a technical marvel uh, visually. I just didn't feel like there was, was much to care about in the story. It was very much, a, as so many people say, uh, we'd seen it before in Dances with Wolves and in mm-hmm. Fern Gully and, and whatnot. Um, but this this new film has so many improvements. James Cameron clearly learned from his mistakes in the first one. Um, and, you know, I think the biggest improvement comes down to our main hero, Jake Sully, played by Sam Worthington, uh, who now has a family of his own full of interesting children. And he is so much better as a father than he was as a chosen mystical hero from the first movie. And so it sounds like we have had as much time on screen between the original and the sequel as we did in real life. Yeah, it definitely seems so. Several years have passed. Um, You know, in the original, the the humans were the bad guys. They had a big big fight at the end, and most of the humans went back to Earth. Uh, This one, they're back for round two. Um, They've got a few new tricks up their sleeve, and and now Jake has a family. He's got um, two boys, uh, one girl and a couple of other adopted kids, including a human kid. But there's lots of interesting characters. Um, it's it's story-wise, it's just so much better written, and it absolutely uses every minute of that three-plus-hour runtime. Oh, okay, noted. Um, <laughs> I didn't realize it was a three-hour movie. So James Cameron, right, he, he, he has quite... The legacy behind him, there's Titanic, there's the Terminator franchise. You mentioned the first movie, while not really exciting, you was a technical marvel. What does this one look like? Well, you know, I think that The Way of Water features some of James Cameron's best actions since Terminator 2. Hmm. You know, Terminator 2 is one of the greatest films of all time, but it is very, very action heavy, as everyone who's seen it knows. Um, This is some of his best action since then. We come to a climax at the end of the film that is more than half an hour of tense and suspenseful fights and experiences. I mean, it's really, by the end of the film, I I literally was on the edge of my seat. Wow. All right. Um, And it's, it's, what what do we call this? It's not animation? Is it computer? What what is the technique that's on screen? Just um, God-tier special effects, I guess. (laughs) I don't know what you would call it either. Obviously, this film, it's gorgeous to look at. I mean, everybody knew going into it that regardless of how the story looked and sounded, um, this this film was going to be another technical marvel. And it is. Uh, Cameron made this film look like a freaking National Geographic documentary. Uh, The first one made a billion plus dollars. If this one is that much better, it sounds like another billion dollars across the world for James Cameron Productions. I mean, one could hope, but you just, you never know, you know, ever since the pandemic, things that should have done True. well have not. And we'll see. All right. Uh, is anything else, does anything else even hit streaming this week? To Because this is all anyone's talking about. There might be a few films here and there that are coming out on streaming. I have not seen any announced. Um, it doesn't look like very many people want to compete with with James Cameron's new new offering. Understood. So what will we be talking about next week? 
Uh, next week, I will have a review of Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. And this is the new offering from the, I, get, I don't want to call it, I hesitate to call it the Shrek universe. Well. But, um, I mean, the it, world of Shrek. Yeah. Uh, Puss in Boots was a, a popular character they introduced, played by Antonio Banderas. And this is a new film uh, featuring him, offering from, from DreamWorks. And I guess we'll see how it goes. Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, next week. But right now, you can go to the theaters, and only in theaters can you see Avatar, The Way of Water. Full review from Courtney in today's Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Courtney, thank you for your time. Talk to you next week. Kyle, look forward to it. That's multi-read player Rasan Roland Kirk in the background. I'm Robert Ginsburg, your host for Shades of Jazz. We'll hear more from Kirk as well as music from Oscar Peterson, Bill Frizzell, Carrie Wicks, McClenty Hunter, and much more. Tune in to Shades of Jazz every Friday and Saturday, right here on KUAF. This is Ozarks at Large from inside the Furman Garner Performance Studio. When I was a kid, my favorite comic books were often team-up. Spider-Man with Doctor Strange or the Fantastic Four with Iron Man. What I love about today is this is a team-up. I don't know if we're Iron Man and Spider-Man, Paul Kelso, but it's Ozarks at Large teaming up with the Generic Blue Show. I'm the Hulk. Okay. Very good. Very good. I always like the green guy. Very good. Um, Paul, thanks for doing this with me. I appreciate you having us on, Kyle. And who is us? Well, I have brought my friends, Rachel and Larry, uh, the Brickfields duo, who often play together, and most of the time within you know a large band. So they're going to have a celebration Wednesday, December 21st at the library at the event center. So a lot of hard work's been put into this in the last six weeks, and I hope Rachel didn't get any gray hair over this. But oh, uh, Larry gave me all my gray hair. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Rachel, Larry, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Paul mentioned it's yeah. a celebration. What are we celebrating? Well, Larry and I started uh, playing over a place called Bear's Place on 15th Street in Fayetteville about 10 years ago. We showed we showed up one day and we said, "Hey, hey, Barry, uh, can we sit down and play some music on Wednesday nights? Feed us some cheeseburgers and put a tip jar out and see what happens." And uh, uh, weeks later, more musicians started showing up. Months later, people started coming and listening, and then now it's been going on for 10 years now, and we've uh, built a band from it. We've had lots of people who have joined us over the years that come in, that play different instruments, and it's it's really a family. Uh, it's a family band. It really, it's Northwest yeah, Arkansas family band. Is what it really I is. It the yeah. band and the folks who come. I mean, some of the people who come have been coming... There's a few people who've been coming every Wednesday night for that long, you know, for the most part. There's some that are, have just started coming. We always see new faces. They always come back, and uh, it's just really turned into a great thing. It's it's a lot of fun. So we're celebrating that because I, I think it's kind of a big deal. You know, we've been holding holding it down for 10 years, and uh, we've had some a lot of good times. And I think it's a reason to celebrate. You mentioned it started at Bear's Place. Mm-hmm. Now it's not Bear's Place anymore. No, Bear retired. And uh, Bear's Place closed down about five years ago. And then we moved to Murano's, which is on College Avenue. Martin Luther King. Oh, no. Martin Luther King. <laughs> That's right. Towards Martin, the interstate, right? Yeah, towards the interstate. Um, we So we started there. Adam Murano owns that place. 
five years ago. So people come and eat really good food there, pizza and burgers and all sorts Excellent of things. Excellent food. Yeah. Play pool, listen to music. You mentioned it's every Wednesday night. A lot of us know this by these Wednesday night sessions by a specific name. Yes. it's uh, Folks started calling it their Wednesday night church. And then a friend of ours, uh, whose name is Jessica Flores, she named it Blues Therapy. And I thought, well, that sounds like a great name. So we just started calling it Blues Therapy. And uh, we're actually going to be honoring her for that on Wednesday because it's it's grown into the name of the band. And I also make, like, uh, essential oil products and jewelry and body butters, and I use the Blues Therapy name for that <laughs> as well. <laughs> so it's grown into a, big, a bigger thing, you know. And, and, and we smile about it, but it is for many people. And I imagine for the two of you, it's therapeutic. Yeah, um, you know, music's my life. It's It's kind of funny because I'll spend, I know Larry does, spend a lot of time we just don't listen to music because we play it all the time. So sometimes it is work. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. But what's therapeutic for me is certainly playing music with um, the good people we play music with and also most especially the people we play it for. They, They just give back the love times 10. Paul, what's going to happen Wednesday night? That's a good question. <laughs> well, I, I know that a core band, and I'm not even sure what the core band is. So the, the whole thing about blues therapy is it's been every Wednesday night. So along that same tradition, instead of Murano's, we wanted a bigger venue, a bigger stage, uh, because there's going to be, I don't know, I haven't counted 15 other musicians going to so, grace yeah. the stage with them. And uh, and the sound is perfect in there, and I don't know. Within six yeah. weeks, we've got it on Eventbrite, so it's easily found just by Brickfield Celebration. You can uh, purchase your tickets and reserve your seat there. We'll have plenty of room for everybody, but... Um, it's a huge room. It is a big room. So I was going to say that uh, the core band is myself and Larry, Chris Parker plays guitar, Kevin Bonner on drums, hmm. Jason Young joined us about a year ago on bass. And uh, Jim Mills is there most often on Wednesday nights as well on the keyboards. And Hunter Jenkins has been with us for going on 10 years as well on saxophone. So that's the, the core group. And then um, the, the guests that are going to be joining us, there's a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I've got a list somewhere. I know Patty Steele's on there. Oh, yay. And, yeah, Jeff Gray's come in, yeah. and Jason Smith on the trombone, and John Richard Davies Burnett. on bass. Yeah. yeah, John Davies on bass, and um, uh, Don Kate and uh, Liz Lotman. Oh wow! And uh, Buddy Shoot, Mark McGee. My goodness, come on, Rachel! Uh, I know there's going to be some surprise guests. Matt Jenkins is going to be playing keyboards. He used to play with us years ago. I can be overly sentimental. Let's just face it, but it just sounds so warm and and community oriented. Kyle, have you ever been to a Wednesday night blues? I have. It was back therapy. at Bear's place. I'm I'm embarrassed to say okay. it's been that okay. long. There was a pandemic in the middle. Okay, yeah, it was. yeah. exactly. It was. But no, it is. It it it's it's wonderful community. And I, I didn't didn't mean to put you on the spot, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, even I mean there are people 
who love the blues and still tell me I have yet to see Brick Fields. And when they do, they're delighted. And people who come back in town, they haven't seen them for several years. That's what I really think is going to happen, especially with it being on the 21st. There might be some people leaving town, but there's also be some people coming into town. Homecoming. That's Homecoming, the yeah, yeah, for the holidays. What if we had some Friday blues therapy? I know it's not Wednesday when this is on the air, but... I'll be playing some Brickfields this Friday. Okay, sure. so we're, okay, well, but you've got guitars. Okay. What would you like play. to play for us? I get it. Um, yeah, so this is an original song that... That was on our album, I don't know what year it was, maybe 2013, something like that. <clears throat> Sounds like I've gone out of tune again. Let me fix this. No, you're fine. Am I? Are yeah. you sure? This is from the Go Ahead and Sing the Blues album. It's called Junk. It's been a long time trying to take that 
that was great. All right. <laughs> Paul, the details about the 21st? From 6 to 9, uh, I think doors are going to open at 5. I think that uh, Rachel's daughters are actually going to be performing right inside the door, acoustic, yeah. and, and doing some uh, songs that they had practiced. Mm-hmm. That's being yeah. nice. Larry, Rachel, yeah. Brickfields, thank you so much. It's the 21st from 6 to 9. Generic Blues Show every Friday night. At 9 o'clock. Thank you, Paul. Thanks, Thanks Kyle. Here at KUAF, it is our mission to bring you moving and impactful stories from your community. And none of this would be possible without your support. From the journalists, staff, and leadership here at KUAF to our listeners and supporters, thank you for prioritizing public radio this holiday season. We could not do it without you. We couldn't, and thank you so much for your support of KUAF and Ozarks at Large. As of right now, we will not have a Monday noon edition of Ozarks at Large. NPR is planning for live coverage of the January 6th House Select Committee at noon on Monday. This will be the committee's final public event prior to the release of its final report, which is expected to be released next Wednesday, the 21st. Of course, schedules change, and we'll be keeping a close eye on any modifications. But as of now, NPR's live coverage of the next move by the January 6th Committee begins at noon, Monday on 91.3 and KUAF.com. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Rogers, and McCracken Hills. Contributors today include Jacqueline Froelich, Paul Kelso, Michael Tilly, Becca Martin-Brown, and Courtney Lanning. Matthew produced today's show in the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio 2. Our underwriting director at KUAF is Ryan Versi. His email is ryan at KUAF.com. Thank you for being with us and listening to us on this Friday. I will be back uh, Sunday morning at 9 with the next edition of Weekend Ozarks at Large. Not here Monday at noon. Back with another new show on Tuesday. That's right. From all of us here at Carver Center for Public Radio, thank you so much. Have a good weekend and be well.